Well, good afternoon, everybody. Oh, that's nice. Nice to get a few replies. That's lovely. It's lovely. It's like being in school, you know, when the teacher says, good afternoon. You go, good afternoon, Mrs. Whatever. But anyway, whatever. <laughs> so, today we are indeed looking at Ascension Day. James has stolen my thunder then. I was going to ask if anybody knew what coming Thursday is, and you still might be baffled, to be fair. So, Thursday this, this week is Ascension Day, and we celebrate it every year in the Church of England. Did you know that? Yeah. Yeah, of course we do. James does. He loves it. He absolutely loves it. Um, and we're supposed to celebrate it. If we celebrate it on a Sunday, it's supposed to be next week, so we've been cheeky and moved it a week forward, you know. You know what we're like. So we are looking at Ascension Day today, and it has got me thinking about projects and about what kind of a person you are when you start a project. Isn't that the worst like road sign in the world when you see it and you go, work starts here for two years. What? Are you joking? I'm going to have to find like a new journey for two years. This is intense. Nobody likes to see that sign. But I wonder what sort of person you are when you start a project. Are you the sort of person that's got the vision you're excited about starting this new thing and you're really enthusiastic and your enthusiasm draws people in and people turn up and go, yeah, we're on board. And then sort of you start the project and then halfway through you think, gosh, I'm bored of this now. And you want to move on to the next project already. James is nodding. <laughs> Are you that sort of person? There are many sorts of people you could be, but I'm only highlighting two, so don't worry if you don't fit into either. And the other one that I think is the completer finisher, the person that is always going to make sure that task is done. They're going to make sure that project is seen through right to the end. They're going to make sure it's got minimal mistakes. They tend to be perfectionists. And that's a different way of being in a project, isn't it? And we've got some, the team are made up of all sorts of different people when it comes to projects, I can tell you. But let me give you a quick example. And I'm going to use my poor old parents. They're not here. They'll hopefully never hear this, so it's fine. Um, it's not a problem. So my dad, no, let's go with my mum first. Let's go with my mum. Let's start with her. So my mum, she's very much kind of a completer finisher. She loves to start a project. She gives herself many projects. She doesn't work, but she's just one of those people that's always got a project. And it's normally repainting her house. I don't know how often she repaints, but it's a lot. <laughs> and she always has like a target in mind. You know, she wants to do the lounge by the end of Sunday. And that is her aim. And she, she's crazy. She will get up at 7 a.m. She will open her tin of paint and she'll start at 7. And you're like, what are you doing? <laughs> And she will carry on throughout the day. She will forget to have a cup of tea. She will forget to eat lunch. She will just keep going. I've helped her paint before, and we were still painting at 10.30 at night. And I was like, can we stop? And she's like, I just need to finish this bit. She is absolutely focused on the task, to an unhealthy level, I'd say. But she is absolutely focused, and she is a real completer finisher. She will make sure it is finished. My dad, on the other hand... Not quite the same character. My dad, he, um, a railway enthusiast, I have to say, um, and he had a model railway. When we were children, my mum allowed him to have a model railway in the loft, out of sight. Um, and so he went up into the loft and he built himself a table around the, the loft beams, which is very impressive for my dad. He's not like that. Um, so you used to go up through the loft hatch and then kind of go under the table and then you'd stand there and this table went all the way around you. And he had the whole track, the train track went all around him, 
He loved it. He was very happy with that. And me and my brother were enthused by him because he was very enthusiastic about this project. And he got us on board. He gave us the big vision about how wonderful this was going to be and the hours we could spend playing with it. Um, and I was going to do the scenery. I was, <laughs> I was going to get the mountains. We'd been to the model railway shop together, the three of us. What a time to be alive. And, um, <laughs> and I'd picked out the scenery, like the mountains and the tunnels and the little people at the stations. And I was very, very excited. And it never happened. <laughs> it didn't happen. He got his table and he got his track and that was that. The loft became storage space and he just didn't ever do anything else with it. And that is the sort of person my dad is. Bless him. <laughs> He's good at lots of things, very enthusiastic, but he is not somebody who finishes the task. But I often wonder if that's sometimes what we do with our faith or with the story of our faith. It feels like we kind of get to Christmas, don't we, every year, and we're there with great enthusiasm. And culturally and in this society, we love Christmas. We're like, yes, here we go. And my favourite service in the year is the carol service. I love it. It's brilliant. So we all hit Christmas with this enthusiasm. And then we kind of carry on, you know, January starts, that's never good. And we sort of bumble through the year a bit. And then we get to Easter. And we love Easter as well. Easter's good. We're still quite excited about Easter, aren't we? And we think, yeah, Jesus is risen. This is brilliant. And then after that, <laughs> we sort of just tail off, don't we? We just start thinking, oh, oh would you, well, you know, Christmas is coming again. <laughs> so we kind of just wait for it all to start again, rather than actually, like, finishing it like it's almost like we forget ascension don't we because I have forgotten ascension certainly like I grew up in the Pentecostal church I don't think we ever spoke about ascension day and I'm not sure I'm not sure I've heard many talks on ascension day like this is a forgotten thing yet ascension day is like the conclusion to Jesus's earthly ministry so surely there's got to be something really important about it because we've been excited at the start and we've been excited in the middle like what about the end what's going on here what are we missing and so I'm going to read our ascension day reading for you it's from acts one um, and I will read that and it says in my former book and I know him as Theo I don't know how you know him in my former book Theo I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptised with water, but in a few days you will be baptised with the Holy Spirit. Then he, they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes. A cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said. 
Why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. I don't know how you feel about that reading. It's kind of weird, isn't it? Let's be honest. It's kind of weird. It's got the vibe of, have you ever read like a child's story? They've started writing at school and then they got bored of writing it and just ended it quickly. Like, And then they disappeared into the sky. And it's like, what is happening? It's just a bit bizarre. And I can't help but really feel for the disciples when I read that. Because they've spent three years following this guy. They've witnessed all sorts of miracles. And they've witnessed him die. And then they've witnessed him be resurrected. And they've spent the last 40 days with Jesus just sort of popping up here and there. Proving that he's alive and eating food and then disappearing again. Like it's been really weird. And then he just disappears into the sky. Like what is happening for them? I, I like to think that the 10 days running up to Pentecost is almost processing time for them. Like they just get 10 days to go, okay, this is weird, <laughs> before the next weirdness starts. But all of that will be explored next week, of course, by James. James is absolutely going to tell us about all of that, about the church before Pentecost and what happens in those 10 days. But today we're looking at why ascension matters like what does it matter if you went up into the sky what does that matter and I think it shows us three really important things and so the first one is that death is defeated and we've all heard that sentence right if you've been in church at least once you've probably heard that sentence we sing it in our songs we talk about it but there's this weirdness about it isn't there if we're honest because we've all lost people We've all experienced something of death and the pain that that brings. And so there's part of us when we see those words that we go, yeah, right. Because it doesn't feel like that sometimes, actually. And so what does that even mean? It's kind of bizarre. And, you know, Jesus wasn't the first person to be resurrected, was he? He worked miracles where he raised others from the dead. And so we saw, like, Lazarus, for example, come back to life. But the difference is, Lazarus was brought back to life, and then he'd have just grown old and died, like everybody else. But Jesus, his story is different. In order to show that death has truly, truly been defeated, Jesus' story is different to that. That is not what happens. And the reason the resurrection of Jesus is so important is because he wasn't resurrected to go on and die again. He was resurrected to eternal life. Like he did not die. He was resurrected and remains alive. And so he didn't die again, but he really triumphed over death. And the story doesn't end with the resurrection. The earthly story of Jesus ends with him being taken up to heaven and not through death. And so it's that that shows us that actually Death is defeated. Jesus is still alive. He was taken up to heaven. He didn't die again. And that gives us all a foretaste of what awaits because we get to inherit that eternal life as well. We'll be able to pop through walls and carry on eating and all those sorts of things that Jesus was doing. It gives us that foretaste because we know that he is alive. And the second thing I think is really important is that Jesus' earthly ministry is complete. But now he's got a ministry in heaven. 
He's continuing. I don't know about you, I think if I'd had a 33-year mission somewhere, I'd probably just want to kick back and relax a bit. But that's not what Jesus is doing. He's not kicking back and relaxing and going, well, my part's done. But in fact, what Jesus is doing, Romans tells us that he is endlessly interceding for us. And there's something that is so incredible about that. Because as he's taken up to heaven, he goes up fully human. He remains fully human and fully God. And so he takes humanity up to heaven with him. He hasn't lost that humanity at all. And he continues to intercede for each of us. And so we have a God who walked on the earth, who experienced what it is to be human, who knows the pains that we face, who knows all the emotional battles that we have day to day, who knows the agony of things that happen. And that is the one that intercedes for us now. Like, that's something that's really amazing. So Jesus himself is interceding for each of us. That sounds like a full-time job. I think it's a full-time job just interceding for me, but gosh, he's got his hands full, hasn't he? So he actively intercedes for us. And it's not that God the Father is against us, because that's what it sounds like, isn't it? It's not that God the Father is against us at all, but it's that Jesus has made God the Father accessible. And that's what his intercession has done. It's made God the Father accessible so that we can know him. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. And of course, John 14 also says that Jesus has gone to prepare a place for us. So he's interceding for us and he's preparing a place for us. And that means that we belong with him. Because if there is a place for us with Jesus, that's our belonging. That's where we know where our home is, with Jesus. And the third and final one. This is about how Jesus' earthly mission is over and he hands the baton over to us on Ascension Day. He says, my part's done and now it's your turn. And that's what he says. It's like he's entrusted this group of people that he's been really close to for three years with his mission. The mission he started, he entrusts to this group of people that have been fairly clueless at times, let's be honest. And he goes, I trust you. You can do this. It's your turn. I don't know if you've ever been entrusted with something really big, but it's like daunting, isn't it? I still can't believe I do this job. It's been four years now, and I still find this, like, terrifying. Like, who trusted me to do this? James is part of the reason. Look at him. (laughs) He's got a lot to answer for. Very few options, options, yeah. (laughs) But it's daunting, isn't it, to be trusted with a big thing. It's scary. Yet, at the same time, when someone believes in you, when somebody says, yeah, I do think you can do it, actually. Yes, you can. I trust you with this. There's something in that that's really empowering. And you go, do you know what? Yeah, I can. I can. And so although it's daunting, I think that Jesus is saying to us, I trust you with my mission. And yes, you can do it. But don't worry, because he also says, I will send help. And 10 days after ascension, he sends the Holy Spirit. And that's so important. And that'll be in two weeks' time when we look at Pentecost, of course. But Jesus entrusts us with his mission. And so those are the three things that I think Ascension Day tells us that are really important. It's that death is defeated. 
It's that Jesus is interceding for us and has prepared a place for us. And it's that the mission is now ours to continue and that he trusts us with that. So let's pray. Jesus, we thank you so much for your life and your mission and all that it teaches us. We pray that you would be with us. We pray that we would know that reality, that death really is defeated. We thank you for how you intercede for us. Jesus, we pray that you would help us to continue your mission on earth, to be all that we are called to be. Amen. Amen. Amen.